Well, in an attempt to answer the question, uh, what is the Bible, and particularly what it is that we believe at Church on Main about the Bible, because you're joining the church, it's important to know where we stand on the Bible. Um, I want to try to answer that question in, in three ways this morning. Firstly, I want to address uh, what is the Bible? What do we believe it is? Secondly, why should I read the Bible? And thirdly, how should I read the Bible? And those are three very important questions. What is it? How should I read it? Uh, why should I read it? So let's start with the first of those three questions. What is the Bible? <clears throat> in the book of Romans, in the first two chapters, Paul discusses what it is that God has revealed to all of mankind um, through what we call general revelation. And it is true that all people in the world know God to some extent uh, through general revelation. So Paul says, who, who can tell me, how do people know that there is a God and know certain things about Him? What does Paul say in the first two chapters of Romans? Any guesses? Creation, Creation absolutely. Uh, so Paul says that God has revealed himself to all mankind through the things that he has made. <clears throat> now that includes not only the starry hosts, you know, the incredible expanse of the universe that when people look at that they know there's a God. Um, but it also includes our own bodies and the complexity of our bodies and the fact that we know that actually my soul is separate to my body. Somehow human beings know that, that we have a soul. And this explains the religiosity of man. So wherever you go in the world, <clears throat> uh, you find any tribe, you know, in the deepest, darkest jungles of the Amazon, they will be religious. There's never been a tribe that's been found or discovered in the history of the world that has not been religious. No such thing as an atheistic tribe. Now why is that? What explains the religious bent and nature of man. Well, it is because God has revealed himself to men. Which is why Paul says people are without excuse. On the day of judgment, they won't be able to say, well, I, didn't, I never knew. Yes, you did know. But you suppressed the truth because of your unrighteousness. That's the point Paul makes. But that's general revelation. Uh, theologians are all agreed that general revelation is not sufficient to save us. It's not sufficient to reconcile us to God. We are, of course, uh, born in sin. We are at enmity with God and He with us because of our sin. And so somehow we need to have some kind of revelation, some kind of teaching as to how it is we get reconciled to God. Now, general revelation is not sufficient for that. Uh, John Calvin actually made the point that... Uh, General revelation should be able to bring us into a relationship with God. But because of what uh, they call the noetic effects of sin, noios in Greek means the mind, so that means the effects of sin upon our minds. Because of that, we have a, a built-in uh, a, a preclusion, not a preclusion, the opposite of a preclusion, a, 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 I want to say a bent, but there's a better word than a bent. We are prone to, to 
suppress the truth, to avoid the truth, to reject the truth because of the sinful the, the, the effects that sin has had on our minds. We don't want to worship God. We want to ourselves to be on the throne of our lives. We don't want to submit to the righteousness of God. And so all of the general revelation of God is insufficient to bring us to God. God therefore has to reveal himself in some kind of special way. He has to break into the sinful world and reveal himself to man that man might grope and find him and find his way back to God. And that is what the Bible is. It is God's special revelation to man and it is a book of redemption which means the book of from, from Genesis chapter 3 after the fall all the way to, through to Revelation 22, the end of the Bible, it is a book of redemption. It is a book teaching us how to be saved. Okay, that's an important point. Uh, for years, the vast majority of the Christian world accepted the scriptures as the Holy Bible. And in fact, many of you, if you, you know, go home and you find an old Bible lying on your bookshelf, it, it will probably say the Holy Bible on it. Now, what did that mean, the Holy Bible? Well, it, that's um, really talking about three things or three stands Christians have always made about the Bible. And that is that the Bible is infallible, it is inerrant, and it is inspired. Those three things. Uh, you, you ever hear any teaching on the Bible as such, you're always going to hear those three things. Infallible, inerrant, inspired. So what are they? The Bible is infallible. That means it cannot be wrong on any subject. Everything it says is true. Everything. Infallibility of the scriptures. It cannot be wrong or mistaken on any subject. Um, now, what does that mean? The Bible being the words of God, which we'll look at just now, means that everything God says is true because he himself is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Everything that this Bible says is true because it's the words of God. Now, there's a slight distinction here between that and inerrancy. When, when we say the Bible is inerrant, what we mean is the Bible was written by men named apostles and prophets. But, as we will see just now, God breathed the scriptures through these men. He carried them along as they wrote the words of the Bible. So when we say the Bible is inerrant, what we're saying is the infallible words that God is speaking to us through the Bible that he spoke were inerrantly recorded by the men who wrote the Bible. Do you see the distinction? So what some people will say is, yes, God's word is true and everything he says is true. We agree with that. But the Bible was written by men, so they would have made mistakes. No, Christians have always believed that, and the Bible itself teaches, that the apostles and prophets inerrantly recorded the infallible words of God. You got that? Okay, then thirdly, the Bible is inspired. Um, so the Bible was written by men, but it is still infallible and inerrant. Why? Because these men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write only those words and all those words that God wanted them to write. And it has been perfectly preserved for us through the providence of God, through God's mighty hand through history. It has been preserved for us. And we'll talk a little bit about the proof of that. 
Um, you know, we, we have over 8,000 manuscripts uh, from which we have built the Bible. You know, there's, we, we didn't find the original copy of all 66 books. They found a manuscript of Isaiah here. They found a group of the Old Testament books that had been preserved in scrolls here. And they sort of patched it together. But they have many, many manuscripts of Isaiah, for example. Um, the, the, if we compare it to other ancient historical document, documents like um, Caesar's Gallic Wars, for example, we have, I think it's eight uh, manuscripts of Caesar's Gallic Wars. And they date, I think the, the nearest one is something like 500 or 800 years after the actual wars themselves were fought. So the, there's a massive period of time between the manuscript and the actual event in history. And we only have eight of the manuscripts. And yet historians are perfectly happy that we have a, a, a reasonably accurate account of what happened in the wars of Caesar. Now, let's compare that to the Bible. We have, not eight, we have over 8,000 manuscripts of the Bible, and many of them date to within like 100 years. Not 500, 800 years, within 100 years of the events themselves. The Bible is the most, just on a purely historical and textual level, it is the most historically verifiable book on the planet. It, it has no equal. <clears throat> if you were to take all 8,000 of those manuscripts and you were to compare the most different versions of them, they would be so similar that it would be like reading the New International Version, the NIV, many of you will have the NIV version, and comparing it to what I have here, the, the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's how close these 8,000 manuscripts are to each other. That's unheard of in historic documentation. It's unheard of. There is only one uh, intelligent, rational conclusion we can draw when we look at the manuscripts of the Bible that this thing has been perfectly preserved. You need to know that. Because that, you will have, um, in, in, in the liberal sweep that has you know, attacked Christianity the last hundred years, the thing that liberals always attack is the Bible. Uh, the Bible you can't believe the Bible. So, I will tell you right now, I believe the Bible to be factually true, unless it is speaking in poetic language, like in some of the Psalms. Um, I believe this book to be a, a, a truthful, accurate depiction of history, account of history. For example, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I believe to be literally true. I believe in a six-day creation of the universe. Now, there are many reasons why we should believe in that. The point I just simply need to make is, when you read the Bible, take it to be true. Okay, <clears throat> any questions on that? Or comments, you're welcome to stop me. We don't have the original manuscripts that Paul wrote, for example, when he wrote his letters. We don't have the original letter that he wrote. But what happened in the early church was um, a, a, that letter would be sent to, say, the church in Rome. Then they would write copies of it, and it would be a handwritten copy because they didn't have the printing press. And then copies would be made of the copies. 
And then those would be sent to other churches, and then they would make copies, and those would be sent. So you have copies of copies of copies of copies. Now, one of the ways that you can tell what the original said is you take 500 copies of made of copies, 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 and you would expect, like the broken telephone, that they'd be different to each other. Well, what we have, the Jews were so fastidious in their copying that when you take the most divergent of these copies of copies of copies, they are so close to each other that it's like reading the NIV versus the ESV. You got it? Which is actually staggering. I mean, you take one message and you pass it through this room, it'll be different. That's how much God has presided over the copying of his word through history. Okay, good question. Um, Okay, so three claims the Bible makes about itself. First of all, the Bible claims itself to be the words of God. Uh, You should have a Bible with you. Can you go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? Uh, Whoever gets there first can read it. You want to read it, sir? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped with everything. Okay, so um, thank you. Three things we want to pick out of those those verses. First of all, um, this is a, a letter of Paul to Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All scripture. So, how many books does the Bible have? 66 books, Old Testament, 39, New Testament, 27. And all of those books are inspired. When we get to our third question, how should I read the Bible? I am going to strongly recommend to you that for the rest of your Christian life, you read the Bible systematically from Genesis to Revelation over and over and over and over again. That's what I'm going to recommend. This is one of the reasons I recommend that, because all Scripture is breathed by God. If we don't read large portions of the Old Testament, we're basically ripping them out of the Bible, throwing them back to God and saying, you made a mistake by giving these to us. No, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is required. He's given it to us for a reason. Secondly, by inspiration of God. The Greek word that's translated by inspiration of God there is theopneustos, theo being God, and that P-N-E-U, Neustos, is breathed. So it is God-breathed, the Bible. What a beautiful picture of how God moved the apostles and prophets to write his word. He literally breathed. So the Bible is not an inspired book. Inspired is not a strong enough word. It is, um, although we use this word differently in English, it's expired. It's breathed out by God. Incredible picture. And then lastly, it is profitable. The Bible is profitable. We will answer, uh, I want to look at why is it profitable, but we'll answer that in our second question today. Why should I read the Bible? We're still still looking at what is the Bible. But it is a profitable document. Secondly, the Bible claims that these words of God were given to mankind through the instrument of certain men called prophets. Second uh, Peter chapter one, please. Second Peter chapter one, 
And somebody else read verses 19 to 21. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verses 19 to 21. Will you read them for us? Thanks very much. So Peter says that he and John, when they wrote... Okay, uh, take a step back. Peter refers to an incident that happened with himself, John, and James in, when they were still with Jesus before Jesus died and went back to heaven. He, he refers back to a time where they were on a mountain with Jesus and suddenly, while they were there, Jesus' body was transformed into like a, 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 a glimpse of his glorified body in heaven. And he shone like the sun, brighter than the sun, and his, and his clothes were whiter than any launderer in the world could make them. And uh, they fell down as the glory of God overshadowed them in a cloud, and they heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. So Peter's referring to that experience, and he says, Well, John and I, uh, and James, because uh, James wrote some of the New Testament as well, he said, we, we are not lying to you when we wrote the things we did in our Gospels, in our letters. We weren't lying to you. When we give the testimony of the things that we saw and heard when we were with Jesus, we are not lying to you. And he said, those things that we have taught you have been confirmed through this vision that we had and the voice that we heard from heaven. And then he applies that same inerrancy the truthfulness of the, of the reports that they were giving about Jesus, he applies that to the Old Testament as well. That's why he says, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Moses didn't, you know, look at the world around him and, and think, well, how can we explain this? Well, it must have been made in six days. No, it's not any kind of private conclusions that people drew. They, they wrote these things as the Holy Spirit carried them along. And yet, mysteriously, the Holy Spirit did it through their personalities. So when you read the Bible, you'll see Paul has a certain personality. You can see it in his writings. John has a different personality, more tender, more, less kind of um, structured. He's more of a bit of a, a lover. Paul was more of a fighter than a lover. And yet, the Holy Spirit perfectly wrote the words the Holy Spirit wanted to write. And yet he does it through the personality of people. It's a mystery how he does it. But he, but he can do it. He's God. Um, okay, thirdly, the Bible cross-references and authenticates itself. So this is one of the major doctrines in sort of uh, the study of the Bible. Or, uh, theologians will say that the Bible self-authenticates. One of the things, if you've ever argued with an atheist, that they will tell you is, you Christians, you use circular reasoning to prove the truth of what you, you've heard that before. So in philosophy they tell you that. So what they'll say is, well, you use the Bible to prove the Bible is true. 
And you can't do that. That's circular reasoning. You can't say, well, I know the Bible is true because the Bible says that the Bible is true. And on the face of it, that sounds like a valid objection. But it's an invalid objection. And I'll tell you why. Because, would you like to know why? Okay. Here's why. At some point, every philosopher has to base truth on something. There must be some final standard of authority that we stand upon when we make claims. You got that? So, what the, what, what, um, the, the, the atheistic philosopher says, you cannot stand on the Bible as the basis of all truth in life. You, you can't do that. But when, a, when a, a philosopher says, everything must be reasonable... So the, 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 the Enlightenment, which we still live in today, that happened at the end of the, the uh, 18th century Enlightenment. We still live in the, the, the long shadow of the Enlightenment. I mean, Richard Dawkins is a classic. He's a, a child of the Enlightenment. Everything is based and judged under the bar of human reason. That's what happened in the Enlightenment. L human logic and human reason was elevated to be the judge of all truth. So, when, when, a, when a, a, an atheistic philosopher says, it doesn't make sense that such and such happens, we need to weigh the evidence of empirical, you know, the empirical evidence that we have, and then we will make rational judgments based on that. So, reason is the standard of truth. If it doesn't make sense, it's not true. Well, you're using circular reasoning. Because you are using a rational argument to prove the basis of, of, that rationalism is the basis of all truth. You get that? Just like the empiricist. Somebody says, I'll only believe what I can see with my eyes or hear with my ears or test in a test tube. Well, how do you say that the only, thing that, the only things that are true in life are what I can test in a test tube? You have a prior assumption, is the point I'm making. Where do you get that assumption from? What are you basing that assumption on? You can't say that the only things that are true are true things that we can reason out for ourselves. You can't say that because what if your reason is flawed? What if you've fallen in sin and your rational mind doesn't work the way it should? Yeah, correct. So that's why... You have to have something that you base all truth in life on. Where, can, where is the starting point? Where can we always go back to as an immovable rock that we know is true? Now that's why God has given us the Bible. Because you can't depend on your logic. You can't depend on your senses. What can you do? You can depend on the Bible. Now, how, how, can, how does the Bible sustain its own claim to be entirely truthful? Well, it self-authenticates. One of the ways it self-authenticates is through fulfilled prophecy. Literally, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament have come true. Many of them were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Inexplicable prophecies of how they could have been fulfilled. Now, if I could tell you there's a book in the world that has faithfully, inerrantly proven to predict the future. I mean, that's quite something. I'm going to stand up and take notice. If there's a book that can tell the future, I'm going to read it. The Bible has faithfully predicted the future many times. Um, not only that, Jesus himself, self, uh, uh, 
Jesus himself authenticated many of the books of the Old Testament. In fact, some of the most controversial chapters of Genesis are authenticated by Jesus as being literal. He quoted from the first 11 chapters, which are the most controversial in Genesis, from creation, six-day creation, through a global flood, through to the end of the flood. Jesus authenticated as true history. Jesus authenticated uh, the, the account of Noah being swallowed by a great fish. I mean, that's one of the stories that people will scoff and laugh at. Jesus said it's true. Who did I say? Noah. He must have been swallowed by a really big fish. In the ark. No, sorry, Jonah. Um, And Jesus said, my resurrection, if you doubt the account of, of Jonah, you're doubting the resurrection. Because Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the heart of the fish three days, three nights, I will be in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. You doubt the one, you doubt the other. Literal accounts. Um, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. He quoted the prophet Daniel. Uh, Peter recognized Paul's letters of scripture. Did you know that? So even the New Testament, parts of the New Testament already authenticate other parts of it as being scripture. God breathed. Peter talks about Paul's letters being scripture and how people twist Paul's letters as they do the other scriptures, he says. Um, And the New New Testament pre-authenticated was pre-authenticated by Christ. So Jesus made some comments to his disciples about the words that they would write when they recorded the gospels that they would be inerrant. Does that ring any bells to you? Jesus said to his apostles... um, When the Spirit comes to you, He will remind you of everything I said. That's not said to us. That was said to the apostles. Pre-authenticating the scriptures that they would write. A couple of others we we could show you. Secondly, why must I read the Bible? Just tell me when I've gotten to. No, 10. 10, 15 minutes. Right, that's perfect. Why should I read the Bible? Um, Back to our 2 Timothy 3... 16 and 17, if you've got a Bible, just go back there, and you tell me from that, those two verses why we should read the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So, so you, you read through that yourself, and shout out some reasons why we need to read the Bible. Okay, equipped for every good work. Great. Okay, so correction. Training. Complete us, make us mature. To teach us to do what's right. Hmm? To rebuke us. So, one of the things that I'm going to pray you experience in your Christian walk is that you find a discipline of Bible reading, daily Bible reading in your life. You read it from Genesis to Revelation, and that you will many, many, many times in your life have the experience where you are seeking God on a certain issue. You're praying about something that you're confused about, or a direction, or a decision you've got, and God will speak to you from the Bible. You know, 99% of the time... You will hear God's voice as you read the, the words of the Bible. God doesn't speak in, in an audible voice. 
most of the time. He can do it, but that's not how God deals with his children. Uh, my fear is that there are you know, certain sections of Christianity that expect a more spiritual, if I can use that word, although I think the Bible is supremely spiritual, but you know what I'm talking about, a sort of um, super spiritual moment where if I just sit and be quiet, you know, I'm, I'm going to hear this voice from heaven. That's not how God speaks to us most of the time. And if he wants to speak that to you, he doesn't want you to sit every day just in silence listening. It's, that's, to me, it's a waste of time, okay? If God wants to speak audibly to you, he can just do it. Let him do it. But most of the time, it's going to be while you read the Bible and something will leap out at you and God will speak to you. It is the most incredible experience. And some of you are nodding your heads, you've had that experience. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing when the Bible suddenly comes alive before you. I want to pray that happens for you. One of the secrets to getting yourself into a place where that can happen is you have to be reading the Bible every day. You have to be. You have to be hearing from God. Um, for all of those reasons that you mentioned. Uh, two other thoughts on why should I read the Bible before we get on to how... Um, first of all, it renews our minds. Romans chapter 12, you don't have to go there. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not presenting them to sexual immorality, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, etc. You sacrifice your body as a, as a, as a, as a, a living sacrifice before him, holy and pleasing to God. Does that... Describe to you how you are treating your body, holy and pleasing to him. This is your spiritual act of worship, he says. Don't be any longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And then that word, yes, he says be transformed. How are we to be transformed? Now bear in mind the, the, the context of what he's just said. One of the, the, the demands that God makes upon us as his children is that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. How you treat your body and what you do with your physical body is of supreme importance to God. We don't live in some Gnostic world where we separate the physical from the spiritual. The spiritual good, the physical is bad. No, God loves bodies. God made bodies. He loves them. He wants you to treat your body with holiness and purity. Now, now, he goes on, how do we do that? Because we are tempted, we have all these lusts and desires that our bodies draw us away from holiness. How can we present our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, what's the key to controlling the body? Who said that? The mind, absolutely correct. That's, that's, but that's, there's incredible wisdom in that. The key to controlling the body is transforming the mind okay so he says this be transformed now how do you how are you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will so you have to renew your mind yes ma'am what was what oh romans uh, yeah romans 12 and it's verses 1 and 2 Okay, so that's, uh, that's the first thing.
being transformed by the renewing of a mind. And then secondly, the Bible enables us to overcome the enemy by building our faith. I don't have time to go into the complex argument for this. I can prove all this to you from Scripture. When you pray God's Word, you are praying the will of God. And the Bible says in the book of 1 John, when we pray God's will, when we ask Him something that we know is His will, we can be absolutely 100% confident that He will give us what we're asking for. He might not give it to us immediately. It might take a lifetime to answer that prayer, but He will answer it. It's one of the incredible promises of Scripture. If you ask anything according to His will, you will have what you ask. Now, how can we know, because the Bible says we don't know how to pray as we ought, how can we pray the will of God? There is no better way of doing that than praying Scripture. One of, the, one of the things that you should do as you are reading the Bible, you come across something that you want for yourself. Just stop, pray it, carry on. Don't make a meal out of it, you know, don't spend three hours, or if you want to, you can if you've got the time, but don't feel like you have to, is the point I'm making. Pray it, God, you said this to David, God, I I desire that for my life. Say the words. You know, actually read it back to him. God, I pray that you do this, 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 and this for me. And then carry on with your reading. I actually have some prayers that I've seen in the Bible. Um, you know, prayers for sanctification, prayers for salvation for people that I love, etc. Prayers that God will fill me with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that I might be able to walk worthy of him. Those are quotes from scripture that I actually have on a prayer list that I work through in my quiet time in the morning, and I pray a lot of Scripture back to God. I believe when you pray Scripture, there is power in your prayer. You can't do that unless you're a Bible reader. You won't find those verses that you want to pour your heart out to God. That's one of the other things that happens when you read the Bible. Okay, lastly, we're almost done. How should I read the Bible? Read the Bible, uh, read the whole Bible, first point, read the whole Bible, systematically, Jump around, just read it like God wrote it, and regularly. Now, how do we do that? The Bible is made up of 66 books. So let's just unpack the, the task of reading the whole Bible for a second. You know, one of the schemes of the devil is to create an absolute mountain in the head of Christians about this issue of reading the whole Bible. I mean, many Christians... Many Christians, in fact, I know the statistic of how many it is, many, have never read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And when you ask people who haven't done it, why you haven't done it, oh, geez. I know I really need to. It's like this great sense of guilt that comes along with it, but I just, I just, just haven't been able to. I just haven't been able to. It's like this mountain. I mean, come on, it's not that difficult. So, 66 books of the Bible, they are not arranged chronologically. So, for example, we have, um, you know, the, the, the chronicle of the, of the nation of Israel, all the different kings that, that they had. And then after that, we have the Psalms. And many of the Psalms are written by, you know, David or some of the other people, and they can be fitted into a certain timeline in the book of the Kings, for example. So the Bible doesn't put it all together perfectly chronologically, but God knew what he was doing when he put the Bible together as he did. Let's just trust him and read it. I'm not, if you want to go and get a, 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 there are certain chronological Bibles that you can find that actually break the Bible back up into the chronological order. That's fine if you want to do that. For me, 
It just creates a further impediment. Now I've got to go and find a chronological Bible. You've got a Bible. Just read it the way God gave it to you. Um, The Old Testament is 39 books. Of those 39 books, five of them are law. Uh, The first... Uh, not the first five books, some of those are history. Five are law, twelve are history, five are poetry or wisdom literature, and seventeen are prophecy. The New Testament is 27 books. The first four are the Gospels as a kind of history. The book of Acts is a book of history. Then we have 21 letters from a number of the apostles. And then we have the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which is overtly prophecy. That's how the Bible is structured. What does it take to read the Bible in a year? Uh, The Bible has um, 1,189 chapters. 1,189 chapters. Now, that's quite a nice number to know because it can help you plan reading the Bible in a year, for example. And I think that a good goal for every Christian is to read the Bible through every year. Genesis to Revelation once a year. Right, how do you do that? If the Bible has got 1,189 chapters... And you read, somebody do the maths, there's 365 days a year. How many chapters have you got to read per day to get, it th- get through it in a year? 4.39. Close but no cigar. Chadwick. Somebody got a calculator, work it out for us. 1,189 divided by 365 days. Give yourself a day off, 364. So you read three chapters a day when you get into the Psalms. I mean, some of the Psalms are that long. You can read more than three in a day, okay? So you can catch up in some of the Psalms. Some of the epistles at the end, Paul's epistles are also very short. You can read Ephesians in a morning. You can read it in 15 minutes. Three a day. Honestly, is that too much? Three chapters a day. It will take you 10 to 15 minutes. Maybe when you get to Jeremiah or some of the longer chapters, it'll take you 20 minutes. You can do that. You can wake up a little bit earlier in the morning and you can have a quiet time. Because I can tell you this. Lives of greatness, listen to this. Lives of greatness, lives of effectiveness, lives of fruitfulness, lives of happy marriages, lives of fruitful raising of children, lives of good friendships, lives of happy relationships. You know what those lives are made up of? Daily discipline. Life is not about massive moments. Life is about the decisions you take every single day. That's true of relationships and that's true of your spiritual walk. The most important thing that you have to do in your Christian life is to develop a daily time with the Lord. It is the absolute fundamental basis of the Christian life. I'm not, I'm not, that is not in any way casting a shadow on a church membership, small group membership, listening to preaching. That's all essential. Because the Bible tells us about it. But if your personal walk with the Lord is not in place, the rest of it will not bear, will not bear the fruit that this will. Okay. Three a day. Anything else I need to say? Um, read it with Christ in view. That's my last point. The whole of the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. When I started to read from Genesis to Revelation, I began to see, on about maybe the, the tenth time through, I began to see, hang on a second, there is a consistent theme. There is a bloodstained thread 
that runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. This is not two different books. This is a one plan that has never changed. That's one of the wonderful things that happens to you when, you when you are a systematic whole Bible reader. You begin to see the plan of redemption through history. Incredible. Read it with Christ in view. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I want to pray that you would help each of us here with our disciplines of reading your word. I want to pray, my God, that even in the near future, in the next couple of weeks, that each person in this room would experience hearing your voice in your word as they read the Bible on their own. And God, I want to pray that you'd give them this discipline for a lifetime. You'd hold them steady in your word. You'd, you'd fill their prayers with scripture. And God, that you would bear much fruit in each life here through the wonders of your living book. In Jesus' name, amen.